0: Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river, and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services. And hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here, or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you Uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them feel free contact us in the office give us a call send us an email Um, we'd love to hear from you love to answer any questions that you have Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on on this podcast we hope that God's word continues to have power in your life and we pray that uh, God makes himself known that you know how much he truly 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 loves you thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Last week we finished our series on life on the vine on um, the fruit of the spirit and this week we're jumping back into Romans and we thought we would start again with a nice little easy text on the doctrine of election because that's such an easy thing for us to deal with. Um, We're going to turn in Romans uh, to chapter 9 beginning at verse 6, and yeah, we're right away swimming in awfully deep water. If you haven't been a part of this Romans series, we're going through the whole book of Romans, chapter by chapter, sort of verse by verse, trying to capture as much as we are able God's message to the Romans— But then also God's message to us in uh, the text here. And this morning's text specifically focuses on um, one of those big challenging conversations really for the last 2,000 years in the life of the church. And that is the doctrine of election. That God chooses his people for himself outside of any human action. And God also does not choose others for salvation according to his will and his action for his glory. Um, There's a lot of things to sort of work through here. um, But I think that God has some good things for us. Let's seek out those good things. And uh, Lord willing, find those things that can be a blessing to us as we go from this place into the world. Let's pray God's blessing on our time. God, we ask that you come and meet us. Uh, Lord, there's big thoughts, big ideas, big uh, big concepts for us to work through today. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you um, make clear what is unclear. That you take away um, the curtain from those things which we cannot under- or do not understand that we might understand more. And those things, Lord, which we you call us to to simply grab hold of in faith. Lord, may we grab hold of those things um, for your glory and in just the peace that you will show to us what it is that you want to show to us, when it is that you want to show it to us. We pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning who are seeking to understand more about who Jesus is. They don't know him, really, or understand what this whole grace concept is. We ask, Father, if it be your will, that you touch hearts, and minds, bring comfort, bring hope, and use, uh, Lord, your love to break through any barriers that might stand in the way of a person's relationship with you. Father, this is work that you alone do through Jesus Christ, through the power of your Spirit in our lives. We pray these things all in his name. Amen. From Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed. Remember previous section, Paul is talking about those who are part of Israel who are not accepting Christ as their Savior. They do do not claim the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. In this passage, he's he's just talked about them and he's referring back to them at the beginning of this part of chapter 9. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated, at the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger." just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. But then, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy for scripture says to Pharaoh I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden one of you will say to me then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one. Who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there there will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites being like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty Had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now after I've read the text, election is abundantly clear to you, and you all understand it, correct? It's This is challenging stuff. There's no way around that. Um, And to sort of get us into the idea of of thinking about election and wondering about this really important fundamental doctrine of the church, um, I want to ask this question. Is God fair? Is God fair? Is it fair that God does what God does, how God does it? it? Is it fair that God chooses some to receive mercy and some not to receive mercy. Is that a fair thing for God to do? And let me pose for you the answer. I'm sure you have an answer in your mind. Perhaps you've thought about this at length. Um, my answer is this. From human terms, using a human mind and human capacity, I have to Unequivocally say that God is not fair. Because according to my human standards and my human understanding, it would not seem to me that there are people who don't know the gospel because they've never heard it, and because they've never heard it, now they're all of a sudden condemned to not receive the grace of Jesus. Is that fair? Is it it fair that really, 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 really good people, and there are good, good people in this world who don't know the grace of Jesus Christ, is it fair that those really good people do not receive the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ? And the answer for me, of course, is no. It's not. It's not fair. human terms, God is not fair. But Paul wants us to step outside of ourselves and our own humanity and our own need for answers such as that, for our own perspective on all this stuff. God asks, or Paul is asking us to consider the different perspective, God's perspective, God's understanding, how God engages with us in the doctrine of election and Hopefully, as we struggle with that and work this through in Romans 9, we can gain more understanding for ourselves. Let's start with verses 6 through 9. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are destined from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary... It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated At the appointed time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. In the previous section, as I talked about, Paul is lamenting that there are those of Israel who do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and he longs that he could take their place separated from God if they would but believe. And here he's working through that argument, he's developing that thought. And what he's saying to the people in Rome who are Jews or even the Gentiles so that they might understand it more, he says, you can be a Jew through the bloodline of Abraham. You can trace your family tree back, and you can get it to Abraham. You can have been circumcised appropriately and in the right way according to Jewish custom. You could have observed festivals. You could have done all the things that Jews do. And of course, you would be considered a Jew, but not a child of God. Because a child of God doesn't come through that behavior, doesn't come through those marks of circumcision and certain ritualistic customs. It comes instead through God's promise. In the Old Testament, we know that word to be covenant. And God fulfills his promise to those whom he fulfills his promise to in his way, in his time, in his place. Not according to just simply some sort of Behavior, ritualistic Jewish behavior that the Jews fulfilled. And the reason he's bringing this stuff up is Paul wants the church to begin to understand election. Now remember remember. then in Old Testament custom the Old Testament custom was about observance of the law. We will do the right things in order to show our allegiance and our love and our worship for God. We will fulfill Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We will fulfill the laws and the prophets. We will do all the right stuff. And what Paul is saying here folks you need to understand that Although that stuff is good, it does not build that child of God relationship that you long for because that's according to God's plan and God's purpose. Paul's basically saying, guess what? The Old Testament stuff of observance of the law in order to be in relationship with God, in Jesus Christ now it's changed because Christ fulfilled the law and now the becoming a child of God is fulfilled through him by his grace. Then we get into verses 10 through 13. And they say this. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born and had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, Calls she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Paul's going again back to the Old Testament. Now, the reason why Paul's going back to the Old Testament is really important because we need to understand that Rome and the Roman church would not have yet received the Gospels, they don't have the Bible. As we know it certainly. I mean obviously we're reading the book of Romans that Paul is sending to them. But what we have is we have an oral tradition of the Gospels. We don't have the written word going out. But we do have the written Torah, the written word, the written written Old Testament that is available to the people to go and check up. Is what Paul saying true? Is that really there or not? He's trying to give evidence. Remember Romans has a lot of legal stuff in it. And he's trying to give a witness to what he's saying about election. So he goes into the Old Testament to strengthen his point, and he talks about Jacob and Esau. And they were destined from conception to fulfill God's purpose. The whole idea of from the beginning, God has a plan and a purpose, an election for you, a calling for you. They didn't choose their own, God did. Challenge and the extension, of course, is to us that God chooses for us. Now we read that word, and there's a word in that verse at the in verse 13 that certainly gives us pause. It's very unlike almost anywhere else in all the text of Scripture. What do we read there? We read this phrase. We said, "Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated." And we read that word, and does anyone has anyone ever had trouble with that word? Why would God hate somebody? Why would God hate Esau? Now, in order to really grab onto that, we need to understand the context of the genesis 25 23 passage. It doesn 't just say there, "Jacob have I loved Esau, I hated." Before that, God says to Moses, or God says to Sarah, excuse me, there are what? Two nations in your womb. And then it goes on to say, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So you've got something bigger going on here. Two nations. Well, Jacob, we know, ends up to be really, in essence, the founder of the nation of Israel. Israel, we know, called, in the Old Testament, God's chosen people. Esau is the father of the Edomites. And if you look at the Edomites in the Old Testament, what do you hear about the Edomites? You hear over and over again certain things. they are idolaters. There's, at times, child sacrifice. There's certainly Baal worship and lots of Asherah poles, which is another form of idolatry. Lots of things going on, household gods that they would worship. And so in the Old Testament, over and over again, we hear uh, prophets uh, passing judgment, God's voice upon Edom. Why? Because they have rejected God. They've said to God, we hate you. We reject you. Okay, that's Old Testament. Do we have any Edomites in the New Testament? Does anybody know of any? Anybody know who's an Edomite in, what's that? No, it's a king. King Herod. King Herod in the New Testament is Herod of the Edomites. He is an Edomite of the Edomite line. The Caesar had said, when they took over all of Israel, they said, we do need a king for you, but we want to be in control of that king. So we're going to give you a king that is not going to please you and unite you. We're going to give you a king that you, what? You hate. One who is not of you. Not only, not only are they not of Israel, but they're ones that you actually really don't like. The Edomites. Edomite, Edom." is south of Israel. So they pick Herod, put him on the throne. How did the people of Israel feel about Herod? Not too good. Why? Because he does horrible things. He kills babies in order to seek out the Messiah. We know that story from the birth of Jesus. He's also selfish. He's horribly um, hedonistic in his pursuit of pleasure. He actually kills his own wife. And then sets her up at Masada and goes to speak to her and pray to her body at night. He's very, very wealthy and he flaunts his wealth as much as he possibly can. He builds his palace so that it not only rivals but surpasses the temple because he is greater than God. He sets up a whole series of palaces that run to the south towards Edom. Masada, the Herodium, and others. Why? Because if things get bad and the Jews don't like him, he needs to get out of town, so you got some palaces along the way you can stop at that are safe in order to get back to your people, the Edomites. Herod has exhibited over and over and over again hatred for God. And when we hear, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, we hear that not only in the context of two little babies who are guiltless in our minds in a mother's womb. We hear it in light of the history of Israel and the idolatry of an entire nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, people who have rejected God. And we move on to verses 14 through 18. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he has, wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So we get this other Old Testament reference. God has mercy on whom we will have mercy, compassion on whom we will have compassion. How How do we read that? Well, let's remember again, context. Where did that passage come in Exodus? Right after the golden calf. Right after Israel had said to God, guess what? You brought us out of Egypt, but you're not enough. We're going to take all of our gold and we're going to build an idol shaped in the form of a golden calf and we're going to set it up and we're going to worship it because Moses is up the hill with you and we ain't seen you in a while. And when Moses comes down, God says, enough, stop it. Foolishness, idolatry, rejection of me. I saved you and now you do this? And he wants to kill them all. But he chooses to leave people alive. Even though they all deserve death, God says, I will have mercy on those whom I will have mercy. Compassion in my way on those whom I want to have compassion. This whole idea of election its a complex thing. But Paul is within it making a few things abundantly clear. God will use and God will work and God will claim space in anyone and everyone's life for his glory, whether or not they are the elect or not. What does it say? It says about Pharaoh that you are here doing your foolishness of holding on to my people, chasing them, enslaving them. But it is what? For my glory, I'm using you even in your foolishness to glorify me. And also then the elect can be used by God to glorify him. And that's according to God's plan and purpose. No one else's. And then he will also show mercy and compassion to whom... Those whom he chooses, he will show grace. You can't earn it. It's completely a gift. Of God. And I want you to hear that. I, I, that has to be a continuing theme. And continuing refrain. In the whole conversation of election. That it within election is God's grace. It's on God's God's back. It's his timing. His way. It doesn't depend on human behavior. Or belief. Or understanding. Or work. It's all in God's plan. It's only according to him. Now we can say that. But. Still, the world struggles with it. We struggle with it. I struggle with it. And oftentimes, when I talk to people about the notion of grace and election, they they will say things like, well, it's not fair that God just destroys people who don't deserve to be destroyed. He pounds them down. He just looks at them and says, oh, not one of mine. Stomp. That's not right, that's not fair, that's not appropriate, that's not how we treat others. If you're a God of love, how is that fair to do? Think about it top down. Everyone's here, everyone's on this level, they're right with God, they're good with God, and then God says, nope, I'm going to choose you, stomp down, condemnation. I don't like that election. In fact, I think it's absolutely the wrong idea about election. I like bottom-up. I think the scriptures teach bottom-up election. Let me help you understand. How many of you in this room, without the grace of Jesus Christ, have committed enough sin in order to be condemned to hell for all eternity? Please put up your hand because that's you. We're all there. We're all on the bottom. We don't start here. We don't start on the top, good with God. Because good with God would be dependent upon us on some levels. We're down here, judged as unworthy. Why? Because I have foolish thoughts in my brain. Because I say unkind words. I've done dumb things in my life. I've broken relationship with God. And down there, God looks at me and says, I called you to be pure and righteous and holy. I called you to observe my law. I called you to obey what it is that I have called you. And now you are getting exactly what you deserve. You are getting judgment. You are getting the pain and separation from me. Why? Because you separated yourself from me. Not me separating from you. You were the one who made choices about how you were going to live in relationship with me. You've broken covenant with me. And because of that you receive what you justly deserve. And then grace shows up. And here's what grace says. You deserve nothing, and I give you everything through Jesus. You deserve death, but I give you life. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. You deserve condemnation for your idolatry and foolishness and sin and separation from me. But I give you acceptance and a place in my family. Bottom up election says this isn't fair. But it's not fair to those who are not part of the family of God it's not fair to those of us who are a part of the family of God it's not fair that we're part of the family we shouldn't be I shouldn't be part of the family of God. I shouldn't be in his photo album. I shouldn't be part of the reunion that is to come someday. Because I know my foolishness. I know my brokenness. I know all the things that I have done, thought, said, been a part of in my life. That a broken relationship with God. How in the world can he think it's a good idea? to welcome me someday into a reward through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's not fair. That's craziness. And that's grace. Oh man, that's grace. This ain't fair that I know the grace of Jesus Christ. That's something that we can claim to be true because I deserve condemnation Rejection and separation from God. And then Paul gives us this really challenging question. Says this in verse 19 Does not there or no, one of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? And maybe you've heard this question posed before in the world that you live in. It goes something like this, maybe in our human context. It says, well, election says, if you're part of the elect, there's nothing you can do about it. And if you're part of the reprobate or the condemned or the not elect, there's nothing you can do about it. So since there's nothing I can do about it, I'm just going to do whatever I want. If God chooses me, he chooses me. If he rejects me, he rejects me. No big deal. I'm just going to live the way, the way life, my life the way I want. Has anyone ever heard that? I have. That's that's people seeing election in, again, human terms. They're seeing it through eyes that need to understand how God has a will and a plan and a purpose. It's people who are saying, I need to be able to control this enough to understand it. And then I know how it works. Then I can beat the system or whatever it is. It's what our human mind and heart long for. And God says, Paul says to us in his word later on, what are you asking that question for? Who do you think you are? See, the challenge for this whole thing is that grace doesn't make sense. I mean, it really doesn't. It really doesn't fit into our world. There's no rational way to make the equation work. If A, then B, or if A plus B, then grace. There's no part of A and B that has anything that is human in it. It's A and B according to God. And we don't know what A and B are according to his plan and his purpose. We don't know what A and B are according to his will. All we can try to say, okay, well, it's It's through the the work of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's through the who Christ is as a sacrificial lamb. Who Christ is is a great example. We, We can try to fit things in there, but ultimately it doesn't work. And the reason I know it doesn't work is again, I look in the mirror every day and I know who I am. This is impossible. This whole thing, this that I'm standing up here, holding a Bible in the pulpit in front of me, standing up here, sharing with you the truth of the word of God is one of the stupidest, most ridiculous things that you could ever see. Why? Because I know who I am. I know how foolish I am. I know how crazy I am. And the thing is, you do too. You know your own heart. You know your own mind. You know your own brokenness. You know the own, your own thoughts. And when we think about that long enough, it doesn't make sense. This is impossible that Christ would accept me. Think about your darkest of dark moments. Christ calls you to be pure. How does, how does that dark moment fit into your purity? And yet Christ looks at you and he says... the grace of Jesus, you're one of mine. And not only are you one of mine, but I actually have some plans for you that are pretty amazing. And I'm gonna use you. And you're gonna mess it up over and over and over again. And I'm gonna use you more. And you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna go the wrong way and you're gonna do the wrong stuff. And I'm gonna continue to love you and forgive you and use you more and equip you more. And everywhere along the way, I'm going to love you, even though because of your sinfulness and foolishness, you are unlovable. Grace is impossible, it doesn't make sense in our human minds. There's no equation that works. Because it's godly, and God gives in God's way. For us in the Romans, since that's true, and God's timing is also God's timing, shouldn't we have hope that God will show impossible grace in impossible places at impossible times? You ever do this? You ever think to yourself, oh, what an ungodly person that is? How far away they are from faith. They'll never be in heaven. I do that in my own foolishness sometimes. I walk through, you know, our, I, I, I hate, it's not a good thing to go on the internet and surf for too long because you see crazy things that people are doing and saying and a part of in their lives. If it ends in Kardashian, I just, ugh, just a sign of brokenness. And, and I look at that, and I see that, and I read that, and I think, how could they ever be a part of the kingdom of God? How could, let's use the name, how could Bruce Jenner, Ever be a part of the kingdom of God according to my rational understanding of what the Bible says and about about what behavior, about what obedience to the law, about what it means to be a Christian, about what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit. And I am here to tell you I am full of garbage with thoughts like that. Because I have no idea what God has planned for Bruce Jenner. What do we understand from the text? Does God have a plan? Does God have a purpose for Bruce Jenner? Can we affirm that? We look at it and we say, that's messed up. That doesn't work for me. I don't get that. It's it's broken. And yet, grace is so powerful. Grace is so incredible. It's so amazing. It can invade a life in such incredible ways. Think about what we're reading. We're reading the book of Romans. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul did. How did Paul feel about Jesus a bunch of years before this happened? He said, No way, buddy, you're a false Messiah. And you know what we're supposed to do with false messiahs? We're supposed to seek them out and destroy them and kill them and take all the people who believe in them and put them in jail and stop the movement, and I'm going to be a part of that because I want to be a good Jew. And all of a sudden, on the road to Damascus, grace, the impossible grace, invades a man's life. A person who says, I want nothing to do with it, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, but I want something to do with you. And I ain't going to let you go. And I'm going to grab hold of your heart. And the world's going to be changed through you. That's how impossible grace is. And since grace is impossible in the text, it continues to be impossible in our world. And we cannot divide or label or believe that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one is. Paul wasn't We aren't no one. Verse 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. He's got all these Old Testament references that come next from Hosea and Isaiah and what Paul is saying here is is it possible that God shows us those who are not a part of his family not a part of his his kingdom and he has them there to remind those of us who do know his mercy guess what Without me, that's you. Without me, you're that lost. Without me, you're that broken. Without me, you're a man giving an interview to Diane Sawyer on a Friday night. Without me, you are in the darkest of dark places. Without me, you are without anything. And it reminds me constantly of how much Christ has given me when I look at what the rest of the world may not know about his presence. Okay, so all this stuff, now it should be abundantly clear to you, the doctrine of election, right? What do we got? Well, election is a challenging, challenging truth. I can give you some stuff to chew on here and my hope is is that you've answered three questions and have 25 more after this morning. It's a challenging truth for our human minds to grasp because it's not rational or fair using human minds and arguments. But, please hear this, election is a source of comfort because it reminds me, and my prayer is that it reminds you that it is not dependent upon how good you are, that Christ loves you, died for you, and receives you through his grace. That's on God. That you cannot do anything to earn the grace of Christ. But it also means, and listen to me here, this is the comfort, you cannot do anything to lose the grace of Christ. You can't mess up enough to outlove God. You can't make too many messes for him to say, I'm done with you. His grace always says, you're my child, and I'm never, ever letting you go. And since grace is God's to give, he simply calls us to show Jesus to the world, and he does the rest. The world that I live in, the world where I stand in line at Stater Brothers, the world where I go to baseball, softball, basketball, soccer games, the world where I drive through neighborhoods, including my own, where we do lots of different things, is a world where so often I can catch myself judging people. It's funny because Kristen and I, we were talking even last night and I, I said, I don't want to judge people as much as I do. I need to change that. I need to, I need to fix my mind on judging people because I can look at somebody and I can say, oh, you're a mess. You're, you're, you're so much a mess. How, how can you be a part of the family of God? How can you claim to be a Christian? How can you, how can you possibly be acceptable to God? And I can do that in my mind in some ways. Certainly as a pastor, I'm not going to verbalize that to them. I'm going to, you know, at least, you know, I'm going to think, oh, sure, you're part of the family of God. You know, I, I do that. We've done that before. What we need to be mindful of is that in the world that we live in, there is nowhere that I can point. There is nowhere that I can point that I can say, that person cannot receive the grace of Jesus Christ. There is not a place, there is not a person that I can see, there is not a finger that I can point that can ever find somebody who cannot receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, do I know that Christ has a plan and a purpose for that person's life and that God knows if they are elect or not elect? Do I know that? Yes, Am I God? No. The world that I live in is a world of not having an equation that works to understand or explain it. The world that I live in is a world where Christ invaded my world through his grace, his love, his power of transformation. and He gave that to me and shows me the rest of the world that is broken and he says, look what your life could be without me. Are you grateful? He looks at me, and he says, are you thankful that I have redeemed you? Because if you are, go wherever it is that I call you to go, and be my love, and be my joy, and be my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I hope I nailed them all, otherwise I'm in trouble later. Go and be me. Go share my grace. Go be my love to others because you don't know whose world I'm going to invade next. I do. And I know that if you're willing, I'll use you. And if you're willing, when I use you, someone's eternity might be changed. Go. Be me to the world around you because you don't know what i'm gonna do next people of the river my hope is that election is not more and abundantly clear to you today my hope is instead that the love and the mercy and the hope that you are given through his calling on your life in jesus christ is clear That you are reminded that if you know God's grace, it's because God, according to his plan and his purpose, called you. And you can, because of that truth, know gratitude. And if you know gratitude, then you can go out and live it in the world around you. And be him. And where he's at work next.